0: This episode of TIE Fighter Renegades is dedicated to Richard Hurd. You inspired all of us, Captain Galaxy. It's TIE Fighter Renegades,
1: a Star Wars podcast.
0: Woo! It is time for TIE Fighter Renegades. The Hebrew handsome is here, but not only that. Also, the Zoom type Android handsome, if I may say so myself, <laughs> uh, is also here. <laughs> I don't know how handsome I actually am, but anyway. <laughs> but Rob Rob has a devilish beard that, man, I, I one day I'll emulate. But <laughs> pretty good for a Soong-type Android there, Rob. How are we doing, man?
1: Well, you know, I mean, uh, it makes me look more distinguished. I'll say as, it does. As data would say. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in a more uh, a believable future for the character um, from All Good Things, right? Was that was
1: that what that was that quote was from? Actually, he grew a beard during the series. I think it was like maybe the second or third season. He did.
0: Oh, and, but did he? Because I know when he put the gray in his hair, when he was yeah the, yeah, was yeah the uh, Isaac Newton chair at Cambridge, right? Um, he said he looked distinguished. But yeah, yeah I true. think
1: you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I think there was there was a scene where he was he was testing out growing a beard in front of a mirror, and I think Jordy and uh, Doctor Crusher there, and we're like, ah, no, that doesn't work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, well, anyway, certainly works on you, man. But uh, we've got uh, we've got some stuff to talk about. We're going to get into on *Tie Fighter Renegades* here. Uh, we have some. Uh, Star Wars news that we will bring up uh, a little bit of reviewing and we're actually going to talk some Star Trek later on uh, and then we have our picks of the month and we will or picks of the episode I should say because sometimes what was it April we did like two episodes right yeah Um, yeah so you never know so we'll just say picks of the episode um, and we'll break into those I know certainly the one Rob has is very very interesting Uh, we'll, we'll get into that but uh yeah, why don't we let's let's just open this baby up. Um I mean, yeah, I gotta admit, real quick, I do miss talking about comic books, but like
1: I don't know, what, what has, do we have the There hasn't been ahead. any. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. We
0: maybe maybe we had that Dr. Aphra comic, I think that they might have released uh last week, but like there's been practically oh, no they? comic
1: books. Yeah, because I looked yeah, at the uh I looked at the, there's a website that shows all the comic releases Mm -hmm. and I went through it the other day for like the last three or four weeks and hardly seen anything at all.
0: Yeah. The industry is still basically shut down. Um, Right. I mean, that's that's more or less been the deal. I'll tell you something, something that I've actually been, I've been rereading Star Wars Legacy because I just need, I need a great Star Wars sequel. You know, yeah. and 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 that was the, I think that delivered on all fronts Um and was 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 fucking dynamite. But anyway, not, not to not to center on all that when the comic book industry picks back up. I'm sure we'll talk about those a little bit. But uh something that was interesting and I kind of wonder. I, I was surprised by this. So this is something you told me about, Rob. But I think I had heard about it which is a a documentary series which isn't always specifically Star Wars, as I understand it, but it's on Disney Plus, and it's called Disney Plus Galleries. And the first four episodes or so have been about, well, what is actually a great sequel in in, in Star Wars land, um, that being The Mandalorian. Um, And I I think there's only four episodes uh, as of right now. And yeah. is this, is this only quote unquote, let me put that in quotes. Is this only available on Disney plus quote unquote?
1: Well, I mean, if you're talking about, uh, official means then, yeah, right. but you know, as, as our listeners always know, they can go source it on in the public library.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I don't play, I don't pay for, for Disney plus, um, but I watched all four episodes So take that for what you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, oh, oh man, there's things I, I could say, maybe we'll talk about later, but regardless, um, I checked these out and you specifically told me, I mean, I I've been pretty much hands off anything star Wars for a while. I'm interested in is a queen shadow. Does that come? I think that comes out next yeah. week. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to that and whatever, but like, yeah. I have been they had, in they had
1: a, Yeah. An announcement about i guess um the the actress who plays padme in the clone wars is actually going to be doing the audiobook version which is pretty cool
0: oh well that's fantastic i mean seriously that's fantastic and that's yeah. the way that i have it pre-ordered is is the audiobook um but really like i have been admittedly i mean i can't help but hear some news uh in star wars but i've been fairly like just not paying attention uh in in, in star wars land so much Uh, and with, of course, there's so many things going on, but anyway, um, so you had recommended to me to watch particularly episode two of this Disney galleries. And I am glad you did. And I, like I said, now I've actually watched all four episodes. Have you seen all four Rob? Yes, I have. Okay. Um, I, for what this is, it's good. Like, I, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, I actually learned a lot. Uh, about a lot of modern production. I mean, some of the stuff I knew from the making specials for other recent Star Wars movies, but it was it was actually I, I thought it was actually pretty good uh, yeah. for, for for what it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, other I have, than
1: go ahead. other than what we're going to talk about, I was really impressed with the episode they did on the volume, which is their new way of filming, uh, you know, Star Wars sets with the with the real time you know and real engine rendering in the background on led screen that's really interesting it's it's, yeah i think it's going to be quite disruptive when hollywood starts up again
0: yeah i agree um and and actually i will say this yeah because each episode's like episode one had to or the, the first episode of this galleries uh had to do with the directors um which i think was interesting to highlight uh the second one had to do with wasn't the actors the third one was the actors Yeah,
1: third one the actors. i thought the first one was just kind of uh an introduction and the second one was focusing on the directors am i wrong uh
0: you you might be right about that but well no because the second one had kathleen kennedy there so anyway i don't recall what the second one specifically was about but regardless the fourth one was about special effects and i agree that's when they talked about the volume um, which is instead of a room full of green screens, it's a room full of LCD screens, more or less. Or like this area that they that they make. And you know what what they were saying about it, particularly Carl Weathers uh, about the volume, where you could all react to an LCD screen instead of just doing make believe in front of a blue screen. Um, the the idea that he said, like as a team, now you can all you all react to the same thing instead of you all just imagining something different in your head. Uh, right. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, um, and, and and I was like, and it, yeah, this, go ahead.
1: And, and they talked about how at times it was it was so convincing that they kind of lost sense of actually where they were, and right. that they they felt very present in you know this this rendered scene that was, was is supposed to look real. It, it looks so real that they that they they lost track of where they were. They couldn't you know find the definition between where you know, reality ended and the screen started.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, so that, that is definitely, I mean, I remember first seeing this kind of technology for when they're making rogue one and they had it around the X wing cockpits Mm -hmm. uh, for the actors to react to. And I thought it was overkill at the time. I'm like, what the, like, what are you doing? but now I get it. Like after seeing this and how they use it in the Mandalorian, I was like, Oh, okay. No, I, yeah, this, yeah. this is, this is definitely a game changer. I mean, and we I'm all know was the excited class. about that
1: back with Rogue One because when I mm-hmm. saw that my first reaction is, is, Oh, we're this much closer to recreating the tie fighter pod.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just like in the game. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Put, put me right in the simulator, baby. Uh, yeah, I agree that. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. Um, you know, the interesting thing was, is that they basically said about that, about these, you know, huge LCD screens that actors could respond to that George Lucas had that idea 20 years ago. Yeah. And in fact, there was a part of uh, Skywalker ranch where they were going to implement it. That's how far ahead of the curve he he was. Oh yeah. Uh
1: and, and I, Ten years ahead. I mean, and I think right. somebody, somebody in the show said, exactly Kennedy that. said that, yeah, yes. yeah. And then they, 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 they had a specific, they, they called it George's garage is because he's been talking about, right. he had the idea for this technology, not just 10 years ago, but like 30 years ago. Like he imagined that someday people would be able to set up something like this in a garage and be able to film anything they want.
0: I hope that happens. I, I, I can't imagine that they'd let that kind of tech go. Uh, I mean, because I think the entertainment industry, we we could get totally sidetracked on this. Um, I I love George Lucas's dream as far as that goes. I think that's fantastic. Um, And it fits like that definitely fits with what he was doing. Even back in the American zoetrope days with Francis Ford Coppola, where they were being like very guerrilla filmmakers, you know? Um, And I mean, I hope, I hope the, you know, the, yeah, because right. His idea was that anybody could make a movie in a garage and it looked just as good as anything in Hollywood. And you'd never right. know the difference.
1: Right. I mean, basically um, what he's talking about is the democratization of this kind of technology to right. make movies. And that's, I mean, that may, maybe people who are not into movies, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but you look mm-hmm. at what kind of effect the entertainment industry Has had and has, especially right now, on our society, and that does become a very big deal when anybody has access to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I want that to happen. My only concern is is that the entertainment industry itself probably would certainly not want that to happen because we've already seen. Well, I mean, that's
1: this is. I mean, uh, it's unfortunate. This is like you know in control of Disney right now. Right. But I mean, yeah, George's vision was for this to basically to be essentially, he didn't put it this way, but to be open source. That, yeah, was, see, that was always the goal.
0: And this is a funny thing, right? So, I mean, just to finish my point quick is, is that like YouTube and, you know, GarageBand and all these different, you know, all these different software and online services that allow people to basically entertain the world for practically nothing on their end, um, I mean, the entertainment industry is paying for, I mean, like, like they're hurting right. because of that. Right. Okay.
1: Now, well, that's, go ahead. That's, that's initially where I see this going is I can very much see YouTube create, you know, setting up their own, you know, volume recording stages at various right. places throughout the country. And then, you know, having their approved list of content creators come in and make content for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this is the funny thing, though, is that see, because I think the entertainment industry didn't see the disruptive power of like the Internet. You know, I mean, like David Bowie saw it. Right. (laughs) And and nobody else listened. And he's like, no, this is going to free up everything, you know, and and it kind of did. And admittedly, there's a double edged sword there. Right. And I think that Hollywood is only or the entertainment industry as a whole only still exists because they can still churn out and they have a better marketing machine than the everyday person. They can still churn out higher quality stuff. Right. If this gets in the hands of everybody, um, I mean, Hollywood is just dead at that point. And in my opinion, because they, they already, well, anyway, we don't need to well, get sidetracked on that, but well, I mean, go this, ahead. there's
1: a really great point. And I think the what, what we're talking about here is exactly the reason why um, Paramount slash CBS went after Axonar. Because that's exactly the sort of thing they were doing was setting up their own production facilities to make Mm -hmm. their own stuff. Yep. And that is a threat to their industry. It's not just a threat to the Star Trek IP. It's Mm -hmm. a threat to the entire Hollywood machine. Right. Which is why
0: I don't know that this is ever going to be democratized. This, this, you know, and, and it was telling so Kathleen Kennedy, I think she said when she first got to, to Lucasfilm, she was stunned. And this is, this is in these uh, Disney galleries. She was stunned that the amount of patent they had a hundred Lucasfilm had 126 patents in the entertainment industry. And apparently that's unheard of like that. That's crazy. And a part of me now wonders, yeah, sure. Disney wanted, wanted uh, you know, star Wars. Okay. Of course. But now I kind of wonder if Disney actually wanted. Really, they just wanted ILM and they wanted those fucking patents.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and and I and not only not only that, I mean, uh, honestly, I think uh, George Lucas got shortchanged in the deal because uh, Pixar, which he created, got more, and their sale to Disney than George Lucas got for Lucasfilm, and mm. their whole reasoning be, and basically, you know. Uh, Bob Iger approached George Lucas about selling Lucasfilm. And initially Lucas said no. Right. And then at some point, I think it was just a year or two down the line, you know, George changed his mind and came back. And this was his words. And I think it's quoted in Bob Iger's, you know, uh, book that he came out with recently is that George said, give me the Pixar deal. Nah. And then. Bob came back and basically said, well, we can't we can't do that much because you don't have, you know, production facilities already set up like uh, Pixar does. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? What do you think ILM is?
0: Yeah, I mean, Skywalker think- Ranch is the most advanced effects house in the world.
1: But- yeah. So, I mean, I I, I really do. I, 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 I do think George got the short end of the stick on that deal. As much as four billion is nothing to sneeze at. With the stock options. With yeah. the stock options, yeah. Which I mean, that and and that and that maybe be why he he went along with the deal was because of the right. stock options. And he's I think one of the largest shareholders, single shareholders in the company right now. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I think who I forget who the other big one is.
1: It's not. Well, there's the Steve Jobs estate.
0: Yeah, but there's but someone that's, else. Is, again, is that's Rupert Murdoch? No. Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I fr- I forget who it is. There's there's someone yeah. else who. Anyway, yeah, but, but he last, is one of the. Last I best.
1: heard that that Steve Jobs was the the the, prior to the, the Lucasfilm deal, he was the single largest shareholder. But of course, he's not one person anymore.
0: Yeah. No, he's a family now. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> well. Anyway, um, this yeah, I think that this this Disney gallery is very carefully crafted. Obviously. Um, you're not going to get anything too shocking out of it unless you pay attention to more of the details and kind of read between the lines like Rob and I are, but I think it's a worthwhile watch. Um, and episode two though, is the one that I think everybody should check out. And basically you want to, th- these, these run about anywhere between 25 to 35 minutes a pop. Okay. Um, and you can watch them at two X. I did uh, cause who's got this kind of time, uh, <laughs> but, uh, the in episode two, when you get towards the end of it, and this is what you told me to check out uh, or you, you didn't tell me specifically what it was. No, but
1: that and was just, my point. Yeah, right. was, uh, right. I wanted you to get to, to watch that. Yeah. And so I watch this and then it gets to
0: Filoni just for some reason, just unleashes on George's brilliance. What he claims is George's brilliance. And he starts talking about episode one. He starts talking about, you know, the Phantom Menace he starts talking about the uh, duel of the fates. Um and and it's this amazing diatribe that everybody at the table and you've got John Favreau there you've got uh uh what's his um i mean you have Bryce Dallas Howard you have uh, Deborah Chow uh you, you know and, and you have all the directors involved and they're just staring at him in awe as he starts rattling this off and my yeah, they're job all,
1: they're all enchants, entranced
0: right right because he is basically explaining the entire star wars saga in a way that I don't think I had ever heard before. And it was apparent, you know, it, it, well, anyway, we have a link in the show notes. Okay. First off, check this. You got to watch it for yourself and you got to hear it for yourself. And maybe like the thing that, that stunned me the most is that he basically opens up with the salvo of Qui-Gon Jinn was not political. He was not, this is, like, he knew that the Jedi had gone wrong and he, and Qui-Gon Jinn was right that you have to love and all this stuff. And, and as soon as I heard that phrase, like Qui-Gon Jinn was right. I'm like, Oh my God. Holy shit what is this guy going to say yep. you know yep. and and i mean just 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 excitement and um and i mean i watched this and then of course i messaged you and said it was like holy shit that diatribe at the end by feloni and you said yeah that's exactly what i wanted you to see so you know we both picked up what was getting put down um and so we put a link in the show notes from nerdist uh and it's dave feloni explains why the phantom menace is important uh and I mean, it's an interesting read, but you've really got to watch the episode. I'm going to read this this story here quick. Um, If George Lucas has a successor, Star Wars fans agree that it's Dave Filoni, which you and I, Rob, have said many times. Um, The two work closely together for the Clone Wars, uh, and Dave often credits George for taking him under his wing and teaching him vital lessons about both animation and filmmaking. Dave would go on to play a major role in the productions of Star Wars Rebels and The Mandalorian, and his Star Wars hasn't stopped rising since. Um, Dave just isn't just a creator he's also a fan of the saga who understands it almost better than anyone Uh, in the latest episode of Disney gallery the Mandalorian Dave took the time to explain George's vision behind probably the most maligned Star Wars film the Phantom Menace and how the fate of the entire galaxy was determined by one lightsaber battle Dave's explanation caught the attention of none other than Ahmed Best who portrayed Jar Jar Binks and he shared part of the roundtable on Twitter listen to Dave and prepare to have your mind changed and there's a link for it. But uh, anyway, Ahmed Best, of course, who played Jar Jar, said, George once said to me 20 years ago that in time, people's opinion of of this or people's opinions of this movie will change. Thanks to storytellers like Dave Filoni, we are now in time. Um, Yeah, so let's see here. Uh, The Phantom Menace and Duel of Fates uh, battle against Maul in particular, Dave explains, determined how Anakin Skywalker would find his way. He might have turned out differently if he'd had more guidance and affection from Qui-Gon Jinn. The Jedi master could have been the father Anakin needed to keep him out of the darkness. How differently? Well, here's how, uh, let's see. I don't know. Anyway, you you can, you can read more of this. Um, but, but that, that's the basic gist is he does give a full breakdown of what everything in star Wars means from Duel of fates from, you know, from episode one to return of the Jedi. He goes that far. Uh, it was brilliant. I mean, it was actually yeah. brilliant. Do, do you want to, you want to talk about puts, it a bit, Rob?
1: He puts, he puts a meaning on, That piece of music, Duel the Fates, that I don't think anybody has ever picked up on before until now. He explains to you exactly what those fates are and what's at stake, and it's obvious when you hear it. But at the time, it's like you know, like nobody talked about this. And please, I mean, like I know people are are uh, Twitter being what it is. There's the typical stupidity about you know claiming about how stupid star Wars fans on how uncritical right. they are of, of the medium. Um, but please, if you can, if you can find somebody who talked about this prior to, you know, 2020 and yeah. actually pointed out all these, you know, what he's laying down here, what Dave right. Loney is laying down, then, then, then tell me, yeah, because I call bullshit. No, nobody picked up. And it's, it's an amazing that, you know, it took this long for somebody <laughs> to lay it down. And yeah, Yeah, basically
0: he's, or go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Basically, I mean, Filoni is saying that Duel of the fates is representative of, there were two directions that Anakin could go. He could get trained by Obi-Wan or he could get trained by Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, And if he was trained by Qui-Gon Jinn, it would have been a very different scenario. And right. he would have experienced love and he wouldn't have even had like a reason to go to, you know, for a path to the dark side. Feloni's basically saying, look, the Jedi were, I mean, Feloni's well, of course he put it in Clone Wars as well. He's saying bear us off. He was right. You know, he's saying yeah. that, yeah, the Jedi were, were not good. You know, they had lost their way. Uh, and that, and it was interesting because then he brings it to return of the Jedi where, you know, he says, no, he says, Luke. Luke could have and wanted to kill the emperor. Like, it's not like Luke didn't want to or something. No, he right. really, really wanted to, right. but he we realized, know, go ahead.
1: We know that this has been talked about before that there was a revert, uh, a version of return of the Jedi where mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker takes Darth Vader's helmet off and puts it on his head. And he says, now I am Darth Vader. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah. You know, and it's amazing because the whole time Filoni's saying, no, this is this is exactly what George had in mind, you know, uh, from fr- from from the get go. Um, I mean, certainly I-, I could believe it's what he had in mind from, you know, from the Phantom Menace. But the idea was, is that like. It's kind of going uh, how how to put it. I mean, he t- you just have to watch it because it was so brilliant the way he laid it yeah. out. You-, you can't just you can't just uh, reiterate it uh, in-, in-, in simple terms.
1: Um, well, I mean, but he's you, put, you grow he's, beyond your
0: father, you know, yeah, and
1: he, go ahead. he's he's put into words, you know, things that just like I've felt just intrinsically and on an emotional level mm-hmm. have I just have never been able to put into words. I mean, there's a reason why I picked Qui-Gon Jinn as my favorite prequel character, right? you know, did those questions back then. I mean, because you could see it like the the, the, the the entire Star Wars saga hanged on the fate of this one character who was of the presence of mind, had the wherewithal to understand what was going on around him, but nobody else could see the truth of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just, it, you know, it amazingly, it really makes the scene at the end of return of the Jedi. When, when Luke tosses the lightsaber, it's now, and I, I didn't think that scene could get any more powerful. Um, but boy, is it now, you know, because now, now you get the thrust behind it. Um, and what Vader does to the Emperor at that point, um, now you get the thrust behind that. Uh, unfortunately, I think what Vader does to the Emperor is now basically meaningless. Uh, right. <laughs> because, because of uh, A Rise of Skywalker.
1: But, y- you know... <laughs> yeah, and that's been my criticism from the beginning of, of when we first learned that Palpatine was coming back. Right. Is that it, it really does kind of... Um, cheapen or or uh you know diminish the the poignance of that scene.
0: Yeah, I mean and the whole
1: even even Dave in that episode emphasizes how important that is that, you know, the 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 son saves the father and then the father saves the son. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah,
0: and and you know actually the whole when he lays all that out, like it just makes the sequel trilogy that much worse because you're just like you know god damn it ray didn't earn any of that yeah you know like 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 it's just it, none of that is there none of that brilliance none of that real meaning um it, it, oh man it, it it was awesome but then you're just like yeah well that's not star wars now <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it just, i mean
1: yeah. go ahead so i agree with you but there's, and I know we're not, well, I want to talk about this too, but there's there's, right. there's a small sliver of hope, in my opinion, because uh, Dave and George, Dave Filoni and George Lucas with the Clone Wars, you know, kind of, I, I think that body of work is what has made the prequel errors as popular as they are now. Yes. If it hadn't been for Clone Wars, uh, the prequels wouldn't be talked as re- about as reverently as as they as they are now. Uh, the, the, and I've said it before: the Clone Wars essentially saved the prequels because it gave so much more depth and character to all of the you know the the moving parts and the and the storylines and and how it all came together. Absolutely. Um, I absolutely believe that there is a story out there, and Dave is obviously the guy to tell it of Luke Skywalker's journey between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. And uh, I think he, if he could do that right, then maybe there is some form of redemption for the sequel series. And that's that's a long shot. I understand that is a long shot. But I, 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 I do believe that story exists somewhere. Maybe yeah. not fully formed yet, but... It, it, it exists.
0: No, I, I agree. Actually, there was an article in Forbes. If I think of it, I'll try to get the link for it. But there was an article in Forbes that seemed to be pretty clear. And it's by an idiot. I don't think his name is Scott Mendelson. Anyway, I, I forget. But he's written some really dumb shit about Star Wars in the past. But he's basically in this. It's a recent article. He's basically admitting that, oh, no, you know what? Actually, you know what people really wanted? They wanted Luke Skywalker to come kick some ass in, in in the sequel trilogy, and that's really what they wanted. And nobody got that, and now everything's just kind of falling apart in Star Wars.
1: Yeah, but even they they could have they that could have been poorly executed too. It could have, like, no, it, right? Yeah, I mean, what we really needed was is, is to. And Dave talks about this is, you know, ultimately what Star Wars is about is, is about family yeah, and not necessarily your birth family. Right. You know, it's, it's the family you choose as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's highlighted by rebels.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. But if, if there was some way for them to expound on that, theme in that story with luke skywalker's story going forward from return of the jedi then that is a story worth telling and like i said i think that story exists somewhere in the ether
0: yeah 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 i would agree i mean i, I really think like that's the thing you'd have to do uh in fact i'd almost argue any movie is almost bullshit to try um, yeah
1: because i tell you, you one you got, of the things you got to give
0: people luke skywalker
1: one of the things that upsets me the the most about the prequel trilogy is the the state of, you know, basically the the, not well, the Skywalker family, mm-hmm. from the end of the Return of the Jedi on, you know, like nope, right. nobody gets a happy ending, no, everybody pretty much dies horribly, yep, uh, you know, like I just I just can't imagine a world where where. Luke doesn't talk to his sister anymore because he's he's too butthurt about you know what's gone down and 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 yeah I could see see you know a version of Han Solo taking off when things get tough but not mm-hmm. the Han Solo that we got at the end of Return of the Jedi.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, I I I, I hear that. Yeah, I I guess I'll I'll just second that. I, I think that 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 story's out there and and it's it's needed like now. Uh, yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. Um,
1: so yeah. what did you what did you what did you think about? So the, the 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 last part of that diatribe, um, Dave Filoni talks about you know George's intentions with the Star Wars saga. What did you think about that? What did he, what exactly did he? Well, cause he, he used your, your, and I'm saying this, you know, sarcastically, he used your favorite word in that, you know, in that the, the, oh, the Star Wars.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Star Wars has to have hope and we got to get right. to the kids.
1: Right. What did you think about that? I, yeah, I,
0: I get it. I don't know. I mean, Star Wars really always has been about that. It's just never been so fucking blatant and cheesy about it, I guess. Right. Um, I, I mean, fuck. Like, yeah. Okay. Originally, episode four wasn't called episode four, nor nor was it called a new hope. But for the as long as I've existed, it's been called a new hope. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, it, it was definitely ahead of the curve on that. I I don't really mind what Filoni had to say on that. I get it. Um, and. I mean, and, and I don't really have a problem with it. The, the only problem I have is that Star Wars in, well, A, the entertainment industry has no interest in getting out any actual real truths out there. Um, and actually, Filoni's diatribe proves the point because it shows what Lucas was trying to do that Hollywood would never try to do. Uh, not really. In fact, I, I don't know. I'm I'm a, The only thing I can, the only reason I can imagine that Disney allowed this to get out, that they allowed these words to get uttered on a screen is because they thought maybe it would get people to like episode one again, um, or or something. I I don't know. Um, yeah, I, that that's all I've got on it. Is that well, I, I get it? Go ahead.
1: There's an interesting thing too uh, when you when you watch the credits for these episodes of the mm. the Disney Gallery, um, yeah. it lists the there's there's basically co executive producers, so it's credited to both Kathleen Kennedy and Dave Filoni huh that is interesting. I think there's, I I think I think there's there's been a shift in power over at Lucasfilm. I don't. I've I've always said I I I I don't. I still I don't think, and I've never thought, and I still don't think that Kathleen Kennedy is ever going to get fired. It's right. just not going to happen, folks. But I do think that things are shifting more towards what people have been wanting and giving dave more creative maybe not control but purview over the entire franchise he has access now
0: right well that might be an interesting if if you're open to it that might be a good segue into our second star wars story for this episode because as part of this is is where, where i want to go with it and this other story Is news that, well, I think there's a lot behind this. And I'm not the only person suggesting this. I I wouldn't pretend to be. But um, this was a bit of a shock, I think, for some. Uh, It was news dropped really in the middle of COVID-19 news when, you know, basically everything's just getting delayed. And anybody, I think most people are wondering, is anything new ever going to get made? Um, And you shared this with me, Rob. Uh, We actually have a link in the show notes as well. This is from Nerdist. Uh, I haven't heard anything more beyond really since the beginning of this month of May 2020 uh, about this. Not yeah, that that surprises me. Go there's ahead.
1: been no official announcement either, as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, they have an
0: update on the link that says uh, the Star Wars official Twitter account and website confirmed that Headland will indeed get her own Disney Plus show.
1: Oh, okay. So they yeah. have announced that part of it, yeah. But there yeah. hasn't been an uh, official announcement as to, you know, what the show what the is. What the show is, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So,
1: um well, let's just
0: talk about it. Uh Leslie Headland who is I guess there's this really popular show called Russian Doll. I have no fucking clue what that is. Um and I I say I don't say this as any disrespect. I I just, I don't know who she is really either. Um but I do think that it's a very political move to basically uh have a I mean much like when they announced Deborah Chow uh you know, being spearheading Obi-Wan um, to, because how this got announced was, even though this part hasn't been official, is that there's going to be a female-centric Star Wars show. That's mm-hmm. that's how this was getting billed. And this is what ruffled some people's feathers. I mean, I hear that, I, I'm fine. You know, I, I don't yeah. care. Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> well, we've know, been saying for this for a while now. Right.
0: You know, I I mean, again, I really, like, I have for a good chunk of my life said Star Wars needs a lot more women. And one of the things I've complimented Disney on is dramatically increasing the amount of female characters in Star Wars overall since they've taken over. Um, so I don't really have a problem with a show being that, you know, being female centric. I do think that there's some political machinations going on here, and I don't necessarily mean electoral politics, so that that's certainly part of everything these days it seems um but i mean rob how did you feel about this announcement what What are your thoughts
1: really pretty much you know my first reaction was the same as yours in that you know um it was not surprising uh mm-hmm. but that you know it, it it did seem very calculated and political yeah and, you know, what they're what they're trying to achieve with this and uh, I also have not seen Russian Dollar or uh, any of uh, uh, Leslie Hedlund's work, so I can't mm-hmm. comment as to whether or not she's a a good or bad director. I'm open minded as to the possibility; it could be great. Um, right. And like I said, Brian and I have both said, you know, for for a while now that you know we need not just more uh, female Star Wars characters, but we need more, you know female talent behind the camera as well. Right. So which is why we were
0: so excited about Deborah Chow. Uh which she, right, you know, right. killed it with Mandalorian was awesome. And uh, that's as was Brainstells, Howard. and,
1: I, and I think that's why why she she got the 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 job for the Obi-Wan series is because right. she basically had, you know, proven her chops to be able to do Star Wars.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now where I get a little conspiratorial about this. Um, this was leaked. This was not confirmed. So the original, and you can look at the dates in the story, the the link in the show notes, this is originally leaked on April 22nd. It was not confirmed by Lucasfilm until May 4th. Um, and, and actually, I mean, I'm amazed that it was even confirmed. Um, I don't, me personally, and you can listen to sovereign tech to learn more about this kind of stuff. I mean, and, and also I do work in PR. I understand how this works. Um, leaks are controlled things. There's, I, I, ca- I can't even imagine where there's like a genuine leak uh, that wasn't intentional. The last like genuine leak that happened was probably the iPhone four, um, you know, where it was really an accident, but maybe even that wasn't okay. And there's a theory going around that this was Kathleen Kennedy herself leaked this to somehow slap Bob Iger in the face um, and to more cement her position and basically keep her from getting fired Uh, because you know this got put out by Variety this got put out by a bunch of different trades and it was to, to more or less like cement her position because then if you go and get rid of her you know, oh, wait a minute, what about this show? Like, oh, she was going to do this, she was going to do that, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's a conspiracy theory, more or less, we could call it that, yeah. going around.
1: I mean, I, I have my own take on that, in that mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I, I definitely could believe that uh, Kathleen Kennedy was behind the so-called leak, and that it is a, a clapback, if you will. Not made necessarily at Bob Iger, but because... Kathleen Kennedy has personally taken heat from, right. you know, elements within Hollywood uh, for not putting more female directors behind the camera. She's been asked about this pointedly and directly in interviews with her. And she basically listed off a bunch of bullshit reasons on why that hasn't happened and why it's it's not happening. So I I think this is this is CYA on her part.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, this could just be an investor play. In fact, our, the next bit, we won't get into it yet, but our next bit of news that we're going to talk about has to do with Star Trek. Um, I mean, look, studios will announce shows to just get, like, investors excited um, and and just to, like, save their jobs. Like, oh, no, no, we have this show coming. You can't cancel us yet. You can't shut us down yet. We got this coming out. And, I mean, all this stuff is very carefully planned. But here's here's what this really... Here's my real concern, I guess, with this. Again, I am all for a female centric show. In fact, I mean, you have no idea how excited and and supportive I am uh, around that concept. But. I think and this speaks to Star Wars really ever since Disney took over and Kathleen Kennedy has been in charge of Lucasfilm. I think Kathleen and and, and actually we, we have quotes that that from, from other past executives in Lucasfilm that basically confirmed this. I think, and, and this is happening all over in Hollywood, not, not just, not just Disney, but I think Kathleen Kennedy, so, someone's convincing these people that there is a demographic out there that they have yet to reach that. If you just appease them, they will flock to your franchise, to your movie or whatever, and you know you're going to do just crazy amounts of money and you're going to be you know the savior of your company or of of your studio um it's the same crowd that i think that the all female ghostbusters was going after um it's you know a, a lot of the and and look gender flipping isn't a new thing folks like this has been being done since like the 70s in fact uh I don't know if I played it on Sovereign Tech or not, but there was a conversation between Harlan Ellison and Tom Snyder asking, you know, how do you feel about, like, you know, gender flipping characters? I mean, so this, this stuff's been going on for a while. But, yeah, I, I don't think that they understand. Um, like, apparently Kathleen Kennedy came right out and said that she does not want to appeal to a bunch of 50-year-olds. Right. Uh, directly. And so she is looking for a new market and the problem is, or a new demographic. And the problem is, is that that new demographic might not exist. I'm not saying that women aren't into star Wars or that females aren't into science fiction or that females aren't into adventure or any of this kind of stuff. Of course they are. I know. I obviously know that for a fact. All right. But this, this, the the numbers that studios have to deal in today the millions and billions that they have to deal in today to justify any project that they come up with. You have to get so many people, you know, asses in seats, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Well, um, but they're rolling the dice because these so demographics this, might not exist. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Well, the, I, I I do believe there is real pressure coming down from Disney onto Lucasfilm and sure. essentially you know whether it's bob eiger whoever the new fuck face in charge over at disney is um is saying you're star wars uh you you know star wars was was mega popular before marvel was where's the marvel money give us the marvel money why aren't you delivering the marvel money produce the marvel money well, you're right. And so the people at Lucasfilm are going, you know, why aren't we making Marvel money? And they're having to come up with reasons why. Well, this this is their answer, is, is that uh, we, we just haven't reached this one demographic yet. And once we have, we'll deliver their Marvel money.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right about that. Um, of course, there's always more than one reason for anything. But um, yeah, I think you're right about that. And I think actually the difference here, you know, the reason why Marvel makes Marvel money is because... In the popular consciousness, none of those characters were established. Nobody had a fucking clue who Iron Man was 20 years ago. Nobody. Uh, and I know because I, I, was, I was the crazy Iron Man fan at the time that was pissed off that Iron Man didn't even have his own comic book at the time because it didn't right. sell enough. You know, And I've talked about that many times. Um, you were able to craft this subculture of Marvel. From the beginning, John Favreau was able to do that. Um, and, and understand, like, Iron Man came out before Disney owned it, right? The, the movie. Okay. Right. And, and they, you know, they just, it, it kind of built up from there. But I, I think you're, you raise a great point. And that's the thing is that Star Wars is in the popular consciousness. Even people that have never seen Star Wars understand Star Wars. They know the references, they get everything.
1: Right. They, they, and they, that's the thing. That's established. There is an authenticity litmus test with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And right. they had. And Marvel like, didn't have to pass. Marvel, right. did, exactly. Marvel did not have that. Yes, exactly. Right. Yes. And The Force Awakens came out, and that made the Marvel money with that first movie, but mm-hmm. it didn't really. One hundred percent pass the the Star Wars authenticity test with right. and, and unfortunately yeah it's it's those fifty year old fans you gotta you know basically rely on to get the word out on whether or not it does pass or not
0: well, that's it, and I think this is basically kind of what you' were saying earlier about Mandalorian and how we are starting to get stories that we've wanted. I think my guess is that Disney is starting to learn the lesson and if if this leak
1: yeah, because- of
0: the because
1: literally, Dave Filoni is that fifty-year-old fan. He's yes. the guy. Yeah, <laughs> and he'll tell you that too. Like he tells, like in those episodes of the Star Wars Gal, I think the first episodes, he talks about how he got interviewed for the job for you know the Clone Wars, and how right. he thought it was a joke. Somebody was playing a prank on him at first, and then when he right. realized that what it was, it was real, he's like, "Oh no, I'm the guy. You have no idea how much the guy I am."
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that they are finally getting to the point. And by, by I'm gonna guess Bob Iger might have even realized this that, oh no, we can't shit on these people anymore. We we have to please them. Um and maybe Kathleen Kennedy is trying to double down here with yeah this uh with, with this? Uh, uh Leslie Headland yeah. saying you know, well, no, 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 I'm, I want one more shot. I can bring in right. this new demographic.
1: Exactly. This reads as a power play. Exactly.
0: Yes. So, and, and it's a point you've brought up many times, Rob, over the years to me. Uh, you've talked about it with Google. You've talked about it with other companies where they get so big that you have civil wars inside of them. Right. And I, mean, and I that's, think
1: that happens with any large organization that gets large enough. And right, Disney slash Lucasfilm definitely is in that category.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, And, and I think, I think we're watching it happen. Um, and, and so I do think that the leak was definitely a, I, I, I do feel like there was some kind of power play being, being enacted by, uh, by Kathleen Kennedy here. Um, whether or not it's to, to go after Bob Iger or what, I can't exactly say to that, but right. I will admit also that, or I will say also that I think, that Hollywood in general, it's not just Kathleen Kennedy. It's not just Lucasfilm. It's not just Disney. Hollywood in general thinks that there's this other demographic out there that they can hit. And I think they're getting the hard lesson that it's not, uh, that it might not be out there. And right. Because
1: I mean, you can make it, you, you, you could observe social media and maybe extrapolate mm -hmm. that that demographic exists. But if you really look closely there's so much internal strife within that demographic that you can't really even call it a demographic once you really look at it.
0: Well, that's it. I mean, you're following, you're trying to get the Twitter crowd, right? Yeah. Uh, but guess what? The only reason there's a Twitter crowd is because Twitter's free. You know, it doesn't cost <laughs> any money and, and you're wanting these people to spend money and maybe they ain't going to spend money, you know, like, <laughs> they, they don't understand. and And, and so, yeah, that, that's, Again, they're gonna have to realize, sure, I guess that demographic exists, but that demographic
1: well it doesn't I don't though. It expected, like in ter- in terms of in terms of something that you can uh, monetize, it doesn't exist. It's no, not something no. you can market, market towards. Yeah, because in look, fact look, if look. anything, that that that, that demographic is anti marketing.
0: Right. They're anti-marketing or, or, and I, I say this with no insult because we live, we live under very shitty systems. Okay. But they're fucking poor, you know? Yeah. And, and and I don't mean that as an insult. I'm just saying yeah. that they don't have any, you hear them. Yes. They, oh wow. They're, they're, they're so loud on social media. That's because they're not doing anything else. You yeah. know, like they're, they're fucking, they don't have any money. They're, they can't buy all
1: your books, you know? And, and oh man. it's well, not, not only that, that, that they're poor, but they're, they're effectively people who have been screwed over by capitalism and yeah, exactly.
0: well yeah that's and, my point yeah
1: yeah exactly and so then here they are they have a, car, a corporation basically coming to them and saying hey we get it you know like you know we, we get you but give us mm-hmm. your money yeah yeah i mean and, and
0: ultimately i think that the bulk of the entertainment industry in hollywood and so on uh they, they think we're all morons um and that's not new it's been that way for a long time. And I remember, you know, you, you can actually hear Gene Roddenberry talk about this at points. Like he said, his revolutionary, idea, the only revolutionary idea that Star Trek had was that we thought the, the person on the other side of the screen wasn't an idiot. And, and I thought that was great. So, yeah. I, I, so I agree with, with Gene Roddenberry. I mean, back, back in the sixties, he had to, you know, it was revolutionary for him to treat, you know, the viewer as intelligent. And I I don't know that anyone else has ever really done that other than maybe like J. Michael Straczynski or, or something. Um, and I think that, that the bulk of them, you know, the bulk of Hollywood, they, they really, they, they think we're just a bunch of morons. We're the plebs, you know, and, and we should be so grateful uh, for the scraps of of supposed entertainment that they give us. Um, you know, but again, a lot of the new demographics they are trying to reach aren't going to pay for shit. So no, yeah.
1: Um, and, 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 and understand that in a lot of cases that's, that's through no fault of their own. No, I totally
0: agree. I, I totally, I mean, I, I completely, empathize. I mean, there's a
1: reason why we tell people to go get stuff from the public library. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, and look like, I'm glad you're
0: not giving them money. Like, like yeah. don't, don't confuse me. Like I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased as punch that they're not getting your dime. Um, fact, I, I mean, it, it, I, I watched a uh, a great review of the first season of Star Trek Picard. And at the end of it, the guy basically suggested, he said, he says, so go out and get the discs, you know, watch the stuff on disc. Do not give them their allowance money, meaning don't pay for the streaming services because you're basically just, that's their, that's the studio's allowance money. Yeah. And I thought that was such a brilliant uh, uh, analogy, you know, for, For that. So I'm glad they're not giving it to them. Yeah. I, I, that's why I say, I don't mean to insult anybody. I'm just saying, I mean, if I'm insulting anyone, it's fucking Hollywood. It's not, not right. You know, not the people they're trying to reach. Um, so anyway, uh, do you want it? You want to shift gears or do you want to? Yeah. So because I think think,
1: covered that pretty well. I mean, yeah, this is, this is nothing we haven't said before too. True. True. It just keeps coming up. (laughs) They just, they, Maybe
0: they're learning finally, but I, I don't know. It depends if, if feloni kind of like you're predicting if feloni is really, if there's a sea change going on there. Yeah. Really well, like I said, I, I,
1: over. I, I, th- I think that the, 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 the announcement of this series definitely, definitely does read like a power play. And mm-hmm. so if there is a power play going on, then you have to wonder, well, who's on the other side of that power play.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of announcing series as a power play, uh, that goes oh perfectly <laughs> into something that I cannot believe. I cannot believe that in, in, in my birthday month, even to get the announcement of a new star Trek show for that to not only not excite me, but nay depress me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I never ever thought that I would say those words. You know, I never thought that I would ever feel that way, but fuck here it is. Uh, Announced May 15th by Hollywood Reporter, Star Trek Pike and Spock series set at CBS All Access. Now, I don't think we have a date for when this is ever going to get done. The show is being called or when it's going to get fully released. Um, It's it's officially titled Star Trek Strange New Worlds, but it's basically covering, um, you know, the time fairly or decently after the cage uh, and after Discovery season two. Following the "quote-unquote" adventures of Captain Pike, Spock, and of course uh, Number One. Um, I mean, ten years ago, if you told me you're going to do this, I would have been excited as fuck. I would have been, you know, right on board with this. Yeah, uh,
1: but um, I would have. Ex- I, I would have been excited uh, after the first couple episodes of the season two of Discovery until they fucked it all up. Yeah,
0: exactly. Because and and we talked about this, Robin. You've talked about it. I mean, Anson Mount, who is reprising his role as uh, as Captain Pike, is tremendous as Pike. I I I think yeah. he's great too. You know, I think Discovery's a you know flying piece of shit, but I I do think that um, you know that that Pike and Anson Mount playing him is easily the best part of that. I think you've said the same, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he I just his portrayal, his his you know his acting, it it sold me. I I. I now accept him uh, as Pike just as much, if not more, than Jeffrey Hunter.
0: Sure, sure, um, and I think uh, Rebecca Romain um, as as number one. I thought she did a fine job you know, for what that character yes. is. Yeah, um, I mean you're, you know you're filling in the shoes of Majel Barrett, but she did it. Um, and and I'll, I'll admit, Ethan Peck as on a, just on a on a superficial level does an okay Spock. Like I'm, I'm all right with it. You know, he's nowhere near as good as Zachary Quinto, in my opinion, as far as a replacement. Um, but he's, he's pretty good.
1: That's okay. I'm not, I'm not particularly impressed. In fact, uh, when this was announced, uh, the, the early word on it, or at least in the media seemed to be focusing on is that the, this show is that the, the top name here is Spock and not Pike yeah
0: yeah and and, and, and that
1: I- that for me kind of was like it's like uh I not with with the writing involved in this show, not only do I think I mean Anson Mount by himself is fantastic, but he can't carry the show with the kind of writing that we're getting out of Star Trek these days, but even if that were the case and you're and he's playing second fiddle to Spock well then this series is even less interesting and has less of a chance in my opinion.
0: Yeah. So, okay. Well, I mean, another way that it's gotten built and and I agree with you on everything you just said. Another way that it's getting built is that it's going to be more episodic storylines won't go more than a couple of episodes supposedly. And it's supposed to have a more positive tone. Um, But there are no writers being brought on any different than people who have been in the star Trek writing room ever since cbs you know kicked everything off with discovery so i have no confidence even if no. they say that they're changing the tone they're just not good writers uh so and i hate to well, say that but they're, go ahead
1: am i wrong but didn't they say that picard was supposed to have a, a more positive tone
0: they, they said a lot of things about picard i
1: know that's,
0: <laughs> It was supposed to be, like, a more family... It was supposed to... What, the tone they said it was supposed to have was supposed to be, like, deeper and more meaningful, and it wasn't supposed to be all action. Well, mm-hmm. I hate to tell you, folks, that show was fucking all action. I mean, yeah. that, that was, like, stupid amounts of action. Just, yeah. like, at the end of season two and, of
1: Discovery. And any meaning it had was so paper-thin as to be almost yeah. non-existent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm glad you brought up Picard. We, we, we are going to talk about that in this. But... Um. Yeah, this idea that somehow now it's going to be episodic. I mean, that speaks against what Michael Chabon has said, who said there's no market for episodic television anymore. Uh, but then apparently, oh, no, well, this is going to be episodic. Go ahead.
1: I'm I'm sorry, but that guy's uh, credibility is entirely spent now at this point, in my opinion.
0: I agree. Oh, I think he's, he's I mean, I,
1: would say, I was willing to take him at his word, you know, up to the beginning of, you know, before Star Trek Picard came out but now Mm -hmm. he's spent that
0: it's, it's gone. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just, we have no, I mean, ultimately we, you know, we can easily just say we have no confidence as good as Rebecca Romain is as good as Anson Mount is. We have no reason to have any confidence in CBS's ability to produce a good Star Trek show. Um, and it probably, part of it has to do with reaching that demographic, just like we were talking about with, you know, with the new star Wars show. Um, you know, I think that, that, that's an element there. I think this got announced and the deal got kind of closed really. I mean, there's been rumor going around that CBS is hemorrhaging massive amounts of money, uh, because of the budget that they're spending on star Trek and it's just not working. Well,
1: they've, Uh, they've, they've been doing a bunch of deals behind the scenes too. And they're, they're basically revamping the whole CBS all access, you know, platform,
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. This summer there's supposed to be a massive refresh, um, that, that they're doing. In uh, fact, I don't even think
1: it's going to be called CBS all access anymore. They've got a a new name for it. I wouldn't be.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. So, so they're, apparently they're losing a ton of money and rumor was, is that they were going to sell star Trek, the franchise to Netflix. Um, you Mm. know, announcing, yeah. I mean, announcing shows like this, is certainly like, I mean, this is a way to keep you from selling. It's like, Oh no, no, no. You know, we, we, we got this coming down, uh, no, no pun intended coming down the pike. Uh, you know, we don't, let's don't, don't cancel us. Don't sell it off yet. We've got this happening and blah, blah, blah. Even though where the hell's the section 31 show, we were supposed to have episodes of that already. Uh, you know, based on the original announcements of that, but regardless, this is more politicking, I think going on. Um, and certainly, it's to get people excited while you know they're well during the whole COVID nineteen situation. You know, let's just say it. Um, but there, yeah, I, I just again, I have I have no confidence in this. I mean, do, do you have any 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 thoughts on any other thoughts on this one, Rob? I mean, there, there's yeah. there's other points I want to get into, but go ahead. I,
1: I I mean, I do. I think I think part of this is here again where I think we're dealing with another sort of internal. Sort of struggle, especially yep. now post Viacom merger yep. um I mean I'll just straight straight up the the uh the redstones have just basically always just tolerated Star trek,
0: yeah we yeah, we know that yeah, yeah, right. yeah yeah exactly. so I mean yeah.
1: you know and 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 now that I and I forget her name, but you know uh Sumner Redstone's daughter is basically back in charge over there um. It wouldn't be surprised if 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 one of her thought first thoughts coming in was, well, let's just sell off Star Trek, because she they, they've always you know, like I said just tolerated it at best.
0: Yeah, yeah, and even when uh, Les Moonves was in charge of CBS, he, you know, even he said it's like I don't get Star Trek, I don't understand it, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's not a none of that is really a surprise. Uh, I mean, and if they did sell it, I mean, frankly, I wish they would, you know, and they would just declare all of this to be fan fiction, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, that would depend on who they sold it to too. And good point. Yeah. uh, And certainly we could think of better homes for it than, than fucking Netflix. Oh, I mean, I don't
0: want Amazon to own anything else, but fuck, I know they do Star Trek, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Look what they did. They they did great by The Expanse.
1: Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I was thinking that earlier when you were talking about, you know, shows that actually treat their audience with some degree of intelligence, that that's at least one modern example of that.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that raises, but The, the Expanse is such a great point to bring or, or example to bring up because sci-fi channel was like, well, eh, but it's not bringing in people. So it's right. not doing enough, uh, doing enough viewers for us. So we're going to get rid of it. You bait, be- you had to have the richest man in the world buy the show and produce it with his, you know, with his pocket money. Right. Just to allow it to exist. And you that's know? because like, he likes books. Exactly. That was right. The only reason that deal happened. <laughs> exactly. And we know, we know for a fact, Bezos loves star Trek. Um, yeah. I mean, he was in, he was in star Trek beyond. He, he was an, an extra by request. Um, And, you know, there's there's really very little fanfare around it. It's just something he wanted to do, I guess. Um, So, uh, yeah, but I mean, but that's what it takes is that to make great shit. You can't worry about those numbers. You can't you can't worry about viewers. You can't worry about any of that. Go ahead. We've
1: talked we've talked about this, too. But it also takes somebody who who has a degree of creative control that has a vision for it. You know, uh, Star Trek doesn't have a Dave Filoni. No,
0: it has Alex Kurtzman, and that's pretty much the antithesis.
1: Yeah. That's a, he, he, he's, he, he's got an anti-vision, like, you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: I mean, yeah. All right. So so an
0: interesting thing, a couple things on this that, that I kind of want to get into. The... You know, one of the age-old, and and you've been around for a while like me, Rob, I mean, one of the age-old, like, arguments in Star Trek is, and and maybe we've talked about this in previous episodes of TIE Fighter Renegades, I don't recall, but the, kind of the age-old argument is, like, who's better, Kirk or Picard, right? Right now, and in fact, you can find the tweets of this, uh, Kirk is basically, has become everybody's favorite again, because, at least among Star Trek fans, because Picard was so horrible. Um, I, am amazed at the amount of tweets, uh, you know, about this, about the situation. Um, I, I think that the whole like Kirk Picard dichotomy is, is actually off base. Um, I, and I think I, I have said this before, but basically Star Trek is the story of Spock. Like Spock is Star Trek. Um, and I think that he is the, he's not only the central character, he is the promise of star Trek. Like he is an example of what the future can be, especially when you get to Spock of say star Trek six. Right? Um, and I think JJ Abrams knew that, which I got to get, or somebody who was writing for the JJ Abrams movies knew that no Spock is the heart of star Trek. If you, if you have Spock, people will buy. And that's why a lot of fans were okay. I mean, a lot of them weren't okay with it either with the remake but a lot of fans were okay with it because they're like, well, we got Leonard Nimoy, you know. All right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that CBS has fucked that character up so much yeah. and has has ruined, I mean, from making him violent, from, from so many different things. They have really ruined that character that that's why even if the center is around Spock, uh, I have no interest because the CBS version of Spock is you know, it just shits on the character.
1: Yeah. Well, that and, was, that was what I was really trying to get to when I, I said I was less interested. Right. Spock is headlining this show is because it's the, 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 it's not that I have a problem with the character Spock. I agree with everything you just said about the character, but CBS's version of, of Spock is, is it's garbage.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, but but I think a lot of people got kind of got a I, I'd lo- and and with what happened with Picard and everything, um, it just drives that point home more for me about just how core and how important and how Spock is really like the great character in in Star Trek. And yeah. Even like Kirk might not even be as interesting without without Spock, though I will say this like. I don't know where Picard, where, where the show Star Trek Picard, I, I know where it went wrong, but I don't know who exactly like allowed it to go so wrong.
1: We we I, talked about you, this last time. I will, go ahead. I'll I'll say this. Um, you know, I agree with you that there 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 is so much false dichotomy of you know Kirk versus Picard, um, mm-hmm. but but even. So if there is an, uh, an inheritor to Spock's legacy and the next generation, it's Data. Yes. And I think the way that they screwed up Data and Picard is far worse a crime than what they did with Picard himself. Absolutely. Like I really wish I really wish Brent Spiner had, had stuck to his guns and said that he was never going to reprise the role ever again. Yeah. And apparently they just, you know, I, and I can understand, maybe he needed the money because times are tough yeah. right now. And they, I don't exactly see him getting a whole lot of work.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that that's certainly that that's fair. Um, yeah, look, it's just <laughs> I just kind of want. I just want to say Picard was just so bad that I just I just can't get excited about anything new Star Trek. I can watch all old Star Trek till I'm blue in the face. You know, like nonstop all the time. It was just so bad. I can't get excited about a single announcement. They dropped the ball. That was just the only chance you could possibly have. We all wanted, and this is, I guess, another point I want to get into, or that I wanted to get to. We all want, everybody was saying, oh, there should be a Pike show. There should be a Pike show. And now they're giving it to us. And I think they even know, wow, we really fucked up with Picard. Like, we did not do well with that. And, you know, fuck Will Wheaton for saying he loved the Mm -hmm. show. You're a fucking liar. I mean, I mean, he, there's, there's, there's,
1: it's just, it's not possible. That guy is, I could say so much. (laughs) (laughs) He's, he is the corporate toady.
0: Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, I I mean, he'll, yeah. And, and I don't want to begrudge anybody doing shit for money. I mean, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, in these trying times, right?
1: <laughs> well he's 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 one of the these these people, like we were we were talking before the before the show started about how kind of you know, a lot of people say that, you know, being a nerd has become popular now and mm-hmm. Brian are more and I are more of the opinion that it's more so that the normies have co opted nerddom. And right. Will Wheaton is the poster child for the co opting of the nerddom and trying to monetize it and turning it into something that churns out money on a regular preach. Yeah,
0: there it is. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you completely. Um, yeah. CBS just can't do this right. And, and, and I get it. Like they're putting so much money into this that they, they have to get so many people to watch it and to subscribe, but it's just crashing and burning. And I don't know if the show's ever going to actually get off the ground. I, I just, I, I can't really picture it. Now it did get me thinking this along with what happened with Picard and some other things. It did get me thinking about things. Um, I mean, part of where CBS fails with, with star Trek is that they just have like these really, really wacky impossibilities, you know, like even the spore drive, um, you know, or the, the 10,000 shuttles that come out of the ass of the Enterprise at the end of Season 2 Discovery. Like, <laughs> like you, you literally don't have the mass to hold that many shuttles. That's impossible. Um, but okay. You know, and, and, and a lot of these other things. And, and I get that there have been some weird ideas. This is something I want to run by you, Rob. I forgot just how strange some of the first two seasons of Star Trek, the next generation were. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, and they, like they are far out shit that, that are, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that what the, the concepts which they played off as scientific, I'm not necessarily saying that they may, that they're, that they were wrong or that I don't agree with them or something like that. But there was some, there was some really whacked out crap in that. Um, like, do you remember Nagelum? From
1: uh, where silence has lease. It, oh, it, it was. that sounds so familiar. I'm not, it's not coming to my, my mind immediately.
0: Right. Well, that, yeah. I mean, it's. it was this like talking cloud in space. Yes. Okay. It, yes. That, that, now I, I
1: remember. I, yes. The one that was trying to run experiments on the, yes. the the crew of the enterprise. Exactly.
0: Right. It's really, I mean, like they, they said, well, it exists outside of the universe. Like is, is not in like data even says, wait, is not being in a dimension, a dimension in itself. And like, I mean, like there was really, really far fucking out stuff that they were saying in that, that I'll admit are actually a lot crazier than the spore drive or spore space or whatever that crap was that they were exploring in discovery. Um, and, I mean, that's the same episode where Picard talks about death and he, he doesn't think that you just die. You know, he just says mm-hmm. that you can't really mm-hmm. explain it. Uh, then there was the Traveler, right, from, yep. from Tau Alpha C, uh, yep. who came right out and said that thought is the basis of reality. And Picard said, you're right. Yeah, I mean like like I mean this is this is far it's not like Star Trek has ever done crazy shit because I know a lot of people are leveling against CBS saying, well they're just the stuff that the storylines and the concepts are coming up with are just nuts. No, Star Trek's had its its nuts ideas for a good long while. Yeah,
1: and, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, okay. Go ahead. I, I see here's the only thing that that, that gives me a, a small Glimmer of hope with this strange new world series is if they mm-hmm. actually put a hard limit on it and make it an episodic series where it's one story, one episode. If they right. actually do that, then there's something to work with there because that was the thing about the the episodic Star Trek is is that in a way you can almost contain and quarantine some of these crazier ideas. Yes. Prime example. You know, the episode of Threshold from Star Trek Voyager, which is pretty much universally reviled. Right. But, the re- but we can accept it and move on because it's an episode. It's a single episode that doesn't get referenced again and isn't part of some greater Star Trek tapestry.
0: That that is yeah you're you're totally spot on with that and and I know like even Michael Chabon has kind of admitted that but more to do with characters than overall story arcs uh, in that like okay a character can have a dark time for an episode but you can't yeah. make it the whole show
1: well this this really highlighted for me because I saw a post on on Reddit the other day where somebody was basically saying uh, I heard Picard is kind of crap but there are a few things that are good about it just point me towards the good episodes and I'll only watch those. And I'm like, you can't really do that oh, right. because it's yeah. a goddamn soap opera. <laughs> yeah. No, if, if you, if you only watch two or three episodes of the entire season, you're missing a ton of context that, and you're going to be going, well, what's this about? What was, what are these characters talking about? Because right. every episode relies on the one app pre- previous to it to, 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 move the story forward
0: yeah yeah no i i agree i mean because look there's episodes of the next generation I, i'll just say that, that in comparison to other star trek sucks like they're yeah. like anything written by joe monosky you know like put that dumpster fire somewhere i i mean <laughs> you know you get data wearing a sun mask and picard pretending he's the moon oh, like yeah. you know <laughs> like <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so you know the, again star trek and do some really wacky shit yeah, you know but yeah. but i think you raised the point rob is that as long as you can quarantine those episodes <laughs> right? terrible use of the word right now not very sensitive but that's yeah right.
1: whatever
0: <laughs> yeah what the hell yeah <laughs> God damn it it's our show uh, <laughs> but uh yeah if you can quarantine those terrible elements all right then
1: fine then 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 you move on um, right. but here's the thing is is i have zero confidence that strange world mm-hmm. strange new worlds will actually stick to that and, and actually do an episodic uh, format i had i just i don't have the confidence that they can do it. I think they rely yeah. on this soap opera style storytelling that yeah. the, the, it's it's an old hat trick for them and it's it's the only you know the only pony they got, and they're gonna ride it come hell or high water
0: yeah yeah no i i yeah I agree with you um ah man. Well, I don't have a whole lot else to say on it, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and I, I I think like my point too with, with, with like the the fact that there, there were, there used to be some weird ass episodes of the next generation, um, you know, was just to say like, it's not that I'm necessarily opposed to that. Like, like that's fine if they want to go far out, like, okay. Um, but they've got to do what you're saying, Rob, I, I agree with you completely. And then maybe they've got a shot, but I still, I don't know. I I, I still look yeah. at all this stuff as fan fiction. I mean, yeah. a- everything CBS has done, Enterprise ended it, and then and there it is.
1: Well, that's why uh, fan fiction works too, is because you don't have to take it as gospel, right? Here again, you can you can isolate that from the greater body of star trek <laughs> 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 you're not saying quarantine. All <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: no, right. Yeah, you 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 can yeah, you can uh, you can isolate it from the from the greater right, from the greater franchise. Um yeah, I you know, Gene was so brilliant in making sure that the novels were very clearly stated how they where they were on the pecking order, you know. Mm-hmm. Um that 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 was at, because actually that's another thing that's happening is that these novels like supposedly being Canon and then just being completely ignored. Yeah. Like yeah. that's hurting CBS's case. It's not helping.
1: You um, know, it's a good point too, even with, even with star Wars, because people used to, to bitch and moan about the different levels of Canon in star Wars, you mm-hmm. had G can and C can and all these other forms of Canon and, and back in the day, people complained about this endlessly and I'm, and now all I'm going to say is, how do you feel about it now?
0: <laughs>
1: you yeah. miss me yet? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause I think Disney's hurting for, I think all of them trying to create this cohesive canon, they're all hurting for it because they can't manage it. Right. You know, have That's to have
1: Kathleen Kennedy saying things like, well, maybe trilogies are just too difficult to do. That's
0: that's outrageous. No, they're not. (laughs) We have plenty of examples. Yeah. uh -uh. But, yeah, I mean, like, what you have to, the only way you can do it is, like you said, Rob, you got to have a vision person. Because, so, like, Straczynski with, with Babylon 5, okay, like, all this stuff's canon. You know, and he lays it out perfectly, and there's canon in comics, there's canon in novels, and so on. And he lays it out, and then there it is, and it works as a cohesive whole. But then he wrote most of it. Yeah, and and yeah. that's what you need. Like yeah. that's the only way that works. You that's, cannot bring in all these disparate
1: parties. That's the same thing and, with uh with the expanse too is because right. you know the 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 two writers that make up James SA Corey are producers on the show. Right. They're right. there when the film is the when the when you know the episodes are being shot.
0: Yeah, you've got to have everybody involved for it to feel co- or you've got to have the creators involved for it to feel cohesive or a vision person.
1: Yeah, um, so, where, at least somebody who other? gets it, you know. Like you, like said. I mean, we're 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 extremely lucky that you know George is and was around, basically, hand down that you know level of knowledge that Dave Filoni now has, right. and and level of understanding he has that that Star Wars can live on for another generation or for however long that he lives.
0: Yeah, yeah, Star Trek absolutely. doesn't have that. No, no, not not anymore. Um and you certainly had guys that could pull it off, like Manny Cotto, uh which is Oh yeah, seen.
1: absolutely. Or Steven Ira Bear.
0: Yes, right, right. Um, I mean you have people that could, but well, for whatever yeah, anyway, we could talk forever about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so I'm mentioning not, over what was, as usual. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. That's right. I'm glad there's so much of it because we get to enjoy that.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean know. if you're if Hey folks, uh, if 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 you're you know Jones and for some classic Trek, maybe something you haven't checked out is uh, the the old DOS Star Trek video games, uh, the 25th anniversary and Judgment Rights. There's some some good classic Trek for you right there, and even works. It's even set in an episode of, of format, and uh, they they even make references to stuff that happens on later on in Trek. I mean, you don't realize like how good the writing on those games were those were people who are passionate about star trek
0: yeah and you know again they they come with all all the the uh the original cast do the voice yeah. acting for yeah. them and it sounds good because the writing was spot on like the these are it was written by people who understood the characters
1: yeah so go pick them up on gog or whatever you know
0: yeah i i agree with you completely on that that's a great recommendation well, you know, while we're making recommendations, you want to get in our uh, our picks uh, for the episode?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You want to go first?
0: Sure, yeah, I'll go first. Um, speaking of something that fortunately hasn't been tarnished yet by modern Hollywood, even though they've certainly been interested in it, um, Quantum Leap. I'm a huge fan of of Quantum Leap. Uh, Scott Bakula, I mean, it's certainly what what kind of turned him into... Uh, you just the the guy, the guy's just a walking masterpiece in my opinion. Um, just phenomenal. And the show, I think the show still holds up very, very well. Uh, it's a, I mean, and and I think most people know what quantum leap is, even if they've never watched it, you know, they know about, it's the guy who like leaps into other people's bodies and so on. Anyway, it went a good five years. Um, I think there have been attempts to remake it. I'm glad that they haven't happened because they would just fuck it up. But, uh, somebody did a Kickstarter, In 2016, actually, the guy's name is Matt Dale, where he wanted to, he loved Quantum Leap so much, he wanted to basically write the Quantum Leap Encyclopedia. And the Kickstarter was successful. Um, And anybody that funded the Kickstarter got a color edition of the book that he was writing, which is called Beyond the Mirror Image The Observer's Guide to Quantum Leap. Now, you can get this book still, even though it came out in 2017, but you get it made to order and it's no longer in color. That doesn't really bother me, Um, but uh, it's a massive tome. It's 800, almost 800 pages. Uh, It covers, it has a complete episode guide, has a complete timeline. It also covers all of the novels, all of the comic books. It tries to put everything into like a more canon, like cohesive whole. Uh, This is a tremendous work. Every show should have a book or every franchise should have a book like this. It's basically an encyclopedia for Quantum Leap which went five years. Um, and, and there's there's things in it that I I had no idea about that that blew my mind. Uh, like, I never realized there was the episode of... So Donald Bellisario, who made Quantum Leap, um, he worked on one of my favorite shows, another one of my favorite shows of all time, that being Battlestar Galactica from 1978. And uh, there was an episode of Battlestar Galactica where Apollo, the character Apollo, works with these uh we'll just call them the beings of light, okay, and he he the the premise of the episode is almost exactly quantum leap, and I never realized it. I never put those two things together and and i was I was absolutely stunned by the fact like Apollo has to you know more or less like get put into somebody like like he's somebody else um you know by by the ship of lights or the people on the ship of lights. And, uh, and, and, and it, it, like, it really does smack of quantum leap. And I wouldn't have, I, I, again, as much as I've watched Battlestar Galactica and quantum leap, I never realized, wow, those are really the two same things. And Donald Pel- Belisario worked on both. Um, so kudos to that for quantum leap coming out of, uh, another great show. But anyway, do check this book out. Uh, I think it runs about 40 bucks on, you have to get it on lulu.com. Um, because again, they print them to order, but I think it's, it's well worth, uh, well worth the money and look up a coupon code yeah. or something at search engine.
1: In fact, Brian, Brian showed me that I'm, I'm looking at it and, and yeah. i got to tell you, like, you know, if you're like, if you're like us and you know, thick books really get you going. Oh, you this on Your shelf. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, exactly. It, it is, it is one, that is one thick book right there. That does get me excited. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, but just a tremendous, I mean, the amount of trivia and just everything, like all the weird stuff in production that happened. I mean, it is a one-stop shop. And and I have lots of Quantum Leap making books, but none of them compare to this. Uh, It really is something. So Beyond the Mirror Image, definitely check that out. Uh, Rob, all right, what do you got, man?
1: So I got something that apparently like passed me by when I was a kid and and (sighs) didn't really even discover until just uh, a week or two ago uh from a friend of mine um who's actually like i don't know if he's still a listener but if you're out there you hopefully you know who you are and thank you for pointing me in the direction of this movie it's actually an animated movie uh from 1983 called rock and rule and uh, it was yeah this and this is it it it, sounds it is exactly what it sounds like too i mean it lives up to the name and um it Unfortunately, at the time, it was just like a complete flop. I think they spent about $8 million making it, and it only pulled in like 40000 And when it was in the theaters. And I don't know why, because this movie really does have just so much going for it. I mean, the it's set in a sort of like science fiction post-apocalyptic, you know, sort mm-hmm. of setting where like uh, the human race has died off because of, you know, nuclear war. And they're like these the the population is now made up of like these human animal hybrid creatures. But anyway, um the, the show is kind of or I should say the movie is centered around basically these these characters who are musicians. And uh I don't want to give away too much of the <laughs> premise, but I mean well let me just, you know, like give you an idea of the the talent involved. So this actually has like musical artists from the 80s who lended their their voice and musical talents to the movie. And so you've got people like Iggy Pop and Debbie Harry, Cheap Trick, and Earth, Wind, and Fire.
0: Yeah, I mean the soundtrack alone is worth listening to. Yeah,
1: and yeah. unfortunately there like there is no actual soundtrack for the movie that right. you can get. Um right. because like like the 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 song that you know that the, the movie ends on has apparently never been released, which is by Deborah Harry. It's a beautiful song. I mean, I love it. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, like and the, and the the main villain. I love the villain in this movie because he's kind of like a cross between Mick Jagger and uh, <laughs> David Bowie. It's <laughs> <That's>
0: brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> it
1: is. It is it is brilliant. And like I said, if 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 you're into science fiction and post-apocalyptic and you know rock and roll and like demons and and shit <laughs> like that, you know, like this, this movie. Just it does. It's got it all. This is perfect for Sovereign Tech listeners. It really <laughs> is. Yeah, like it's like like I can't believe I I'd never heard of this movie before and it's definitely up, you know, both, you know, Brian and Mind Alley and so I would certainly, you know, encourage everybody who's listening to check it out cuz it it is really just kind of like a, a I, I think it, it I think it deserves a revival. It's it it could be a sleeper hit in these days.
0: Yeah this is one I've wanted on Blu-ray for a while. Um, it's, it's actually very rare Blu-ray. It's one of those rare releases out there, kind of like wizards and some of the other animated films. Um, I, I, I feel like in the eighties, Hollywood was trying to see, Hey, can we do what they're doing in Japan where animated films are adult and make an ass ton of money? And because a lot of these, I feel like really failed. I mean, you think like yeah. uh, the black cauldron flight of the dragons, right?
1: Well, they were um, all way time i mean like at the time you know uh, adults weren't willing to take animation seriously now it's given you know like with with the simpsons and all that kind of stuff you know Mm -hmm. adults watch animation all the time now and you know nobody calls them out for you know acting like children because you know it's actually good content
0: yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of these 80s kind of fantasy films almost that I really, I mean, uh, heavy metal of course comes to mind for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, but that I think are really worth checking out. Like I love fire and ice. I think that's a brilliant film, um, gorgeous animated movie. Uh, or I mean, even something a little more popular like GI Joe, the movie or transformers, the movie that Mm -hmm. came out in the eighties, those were very grown up and had star studded casts. They were legit. Um, yeah, rock and roll is just one of those. Yeah, I, I I do feel like it's one of the less popular ones. It's a little under the radar, but once you know about it, you never forget it. Uh, and and it it really is that good. That's that's a tremendous pick, Rob.
1: Uh, yeah, and it. and just for anybody you know that's uh, looking for it. I mean, the the like Brian mentioned, like the the it's kind of a rare movie. In fact, the 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 physical formats actually go anywhere from like a hundred dollars to like three hundred dollars. Uh, uh, now I will say you can get it legitimately through Amazon prime, but the ask price is $20, which is kind of high for me in terms of streaming. Uh, but but I will say that, uh, I did watch it online. Uh, you know, if you want to look for the tube where this is located, you can find it very easily.
0: You know? Yeah you know, the reason I think it costs like 20 bucks, I bet it's because of the licensing rights. Cause you got to pay cheap trick. You got to pay all, you know, all those artists. Yeah. That's gotta be why that costs so much. Um, I mean, on, on the streaming side, on the physical side, it's due more to the rarity, but, uh, but even the rare, the reason why it's so rarely released is because you got to pay those licensing fees, you know? Um, and, and what a pain anyway. Uh, yeah, great pick Rob. Uh, so check all of that out. And, uh, I guess we'll leave it off with that. I mean, I don't think we need to do a barometer check on star Wars necessarily. I mean, no, the let's end the
1: show is- on a good note.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No rock and roll, <laughs> <laughs> rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Take, take a quantum leap and rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so great picks there. Uh, anyway, yeah, we'll wrap up this episode of tie fighter renegades and we will be back with much more because there's always news. And you know what, if there is a news, we're gonna go digging deep into those classics. We still gotta review the Star Lost. I know oh, you know what we didn't talk about? Holy shit, we didn't get this episode, and I'll make sure it's at the top. This episode is dedicated to Richard Hurd, who passed away passed away just a few days ago. Man, that guy was in fucking everything, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, we, I mean
0: go ahead. V. Yep. He played John and V. Awesome. Uh, Star Trek, Sequest. In fact, that's really where I know him best from more more other than V is uh, sequest, he played Admiral Noise. He was tremendous in that. Um he's like I've never seen him young. I don't know what the fuck he looks like young. Uh I'm I was actually kind of surprised that he was still, you know, alive. But uh Yeah,
1: yeah, because he wasn't of, he wasn't young when he did a lot of these things. So Right.
0: Right. And I mean the, you know, we're talking stuff thirty, forty years ago. Right. Um so but, talk yeah, about just, stuff
1: that, you know, like deserves a lot of play today, especially given, you know, the circumstances. Uh you know, V
0: Yeah. Oh, hell yes. I mean, yeah.
1: Like the, like the, the, the dedication at the beginning of that, that the, the original miniseries is something you will never see on television ever again.
0: To all the resistance fighters around the world for all time. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah.
1: Yeah. You're you're never going to hear that today. Yeah. You're never going to hear that today. No, no.
0: Yeah. That, that was brilliant. Kenneth Johnson really delivered on that one. Um, man yeah but but uh richard heard i mean just a part of all the big franchises uh you know always i mean talk about a literal commanding presence he always seemed to play a leader or admiral but he just delivered on that i mean he just you you totally believed him the instant that he did that or that he was in one of those roles so i totally understand i completely oh wait wasn't he didn't he play tom paris's father or father in voyager yes
1: yes he did yes oh. yeah just admiral paris admiral paris yeah yeah Tremendous, yeah. just a just yeah.
0: a great, great actor, uh, and and I always always loved seeing him on screen, uh, w- regardless of franchise. So. so,
1: so I mean, so iconic that he basically, you know, set the template for for Trump memes these days. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at it online. There's there's literally murals of of Trump dressed up in the, the visitor's red garb and wearing the sunglasses. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. See we're we're,
0: so, so, you know, rest in peace, Richard Hurd. but we're going to talk about V at some point because that, that franchise is as important today. I think as it's ever was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I took, I'll, I'll just say this quickly. I took V so seriously. I had black Converse shoes in high school And this is, this is 15 years after V was even a thing. And I, I took red nail polish and just put like a V on the side of my black Converse shoes in high school in the nineties, because I was just like, yeah, this is so fucking great. Uh, when I finally got to see it, you know, um, but it's, it's that I don't do that often, but that, that was, that was one of the, one of those franchises that just inspired me so much. I thought it was so brilliant. Um, so anyway, we'll get to that in the future episode, but for this episode, you've got us that's the end of it and uh, we will see all of you
1: on the other side